Now we're rolling. There we go. <laughs> Very professional. <laughs> How good. Corny, thank you for coming in, man. Hey, rather, my pleasure. My pleasure. Straight off the pool deck? Yeah, something like that. Something like that, yeah. Um, yeah, just like uh, swimming in the morning. It was actually a gym session and then um, uh, they had a little meeting meeting afterwards that I sat in on it for, uh, for a little while. It's still going, actually, this meeting, but I uh, ducked out of it because I was like, man, I've got... Got places to be, people to see. <laughs> the, boys, the boys at CMBT are uh, wanting me down there. There we go. <laughs> feel privileged. I feel privileged. Man, tell people, introduce yourself because I know we have done a podcast previously. This is going to be a brand new one, but we want to reintroduce our guests and obviously tell them about all the wonderful and fantastic things that you've been up to in the sports performance world. Yeah, man. Oh, like, uh, I don't know. Where, where, where do you want me to go? Yeah, go all the way back, start. brother. Yep. Lay the land. I'll, I'll, I'll start. Um, how about I, I start from now and, and work backwards yep. and, uh, and uh, finish up when I'm like a little nine-year-old uh, Pākehā <laughs> getting chased by Māori girls in yeah. like Tolaga Bay, uh, <laughs> Tolaga Bay Area School's uh, playground with hockey sticks. Um, so, uh, yeah, like at the moment, um, work uh, Bond University Swimming. I help, help out that squad. Um, it's, it's a pretty decent squad in terms of Australia level Like there's three swimmers that made Commonwealth Games um, Also do some work for University of Southern Queensland That's in curriculum development They've got a Master's of Strength Conditioning that they're launching So I help out there um, And then also work at a uh, local high school Just up the road from uh, from uh, where I live In Kingscliff, New South Wales And uh, that's as a Director of High Performance and, and Sports Development Which is a... Uh, somewhat unique role in a, in a high school setting and there's a real um, real uh, uh, um, clued up principal there that really wants to promote sport and, and he's seen some of these positions overseas and he's like, we need to get that uh, in at our school. So that's been pretty cool. Prior to that, um, I came back uh, to Australia. I was working overseas for the UFC. Uh, um, they set up a performance institute. There's one in Vegas and they set up one in Shanghai. I headed up that for the first two years as, as performance director. Um, and that was like you had your strength conditioning, your sports science, your uh, uh, sports dietetics or sports nutrition and um, physical therapy. And there's also technical coaching there, like MMA coaching, which is pretty cool. So I did that for two years. Prior to that, I was in, worked with uh, athletics in China um, as a, uh, as a uh, physical preparation coach for the jump and sprint section um, and also became like a... a Defunct uh, assistant coach for uh, some of the long jumpers and, and sprinters, um, and before that it was a Chinese Olympic Committee job, so it was actually same spot but just different employers, uh, and that was like our AIS or QAS, like Australian Institute of Sport type setting, but Chinese Olympic Committee National Sports Training uh, Centre. So um, I was a performance manager there. We had sort of strength conditioning and uh, physiotherapy staff, and uh, our sort of team looked after sports like it was their gold medal winning sports like. Literally, if, if you weren't working with a gold medalist at the Olympics, it was uh, it was an off day. But it was like weightlifting, diving, um, gymnastics, ping pong, badminton, uh, and uh, shooting. We didn't. I didn't do anything with shooting, but those are the six main sports China has, right? And then they've got a plus one, so it's called six plus one. And depending on who you talk to, uh, that plus one could be swimming, um, it could be uh, volleyball, women's volleyball especially. Um, so yeah, I did that uh, for about 18 months prior to that track and field job. Um, and yeah, that's that's sort of been what I've been, I started that in 2014, so it's like yep. eight years ago. Prior to that, I had a, uh, 
uh, like private strength conditioning uh, gym here on the coast, um, just up the road from where we're doing this uh, this uh, uh, recording. Um, and yeah, coached athletes out of there, treated athletes out of there, um, did a bit of contracting and consulting with, uh, say, different clubs and whatnot. Um, I've been lucky to do some of that sort of in between my China experiences. Um, but yeah, come across in like 2005, man. 2005 from New Zealand. Yeah. Um, met Selassie. Yep. Met Selassie. Um, and known him since then. But yeah, and, and that's, uh, I guess that's where the uh, sort of story starts. It's amazing. There's, there's some iconic footage of, of you training Cell when you were part of the Titan squad. Yeah. <laughs> and that was. <laughs> Does its rounds around the office. Hey, there's there's even more iconic footage that Coiny hasn't released. Well, he's given it to Brocky okay. of him making me run backwards up. What's the street in Tweed that you used to take me to? I think it's called Steep Street. It's called Steep Street. <laughs> yeah, it's probably it was called just, Steep it Street. It wasn't even, I believe there was nothing about performance. It was just Coiny's Entertainment. <laughs> Once a week, 7 a.m. on a Wednesday, go backwards up this hill. That was like this. It was just a vertical plane. I was like, why are we doing this again? <laughs> yeah. Absolutely brutal. But nah, I, I saw Coiny basically when my body was completely wrecked mm. from obviously footy. Um but I was in the cross-section of possibly making into the Titans' top squad, uh-huh. um, into their top 25. And I I kind of knew very early that, one, I needed nutrition because um, there were just some freak athletes. So I needed every edge I could possibly get to possibly crack that squad. So I figured the edges were going to come from sports performance coaching, be it Coiny, um, nutrition as the other one, because at the same time I was also – we were both actually finishing uni stuff at the same time. So I think you had just moved to starting out the practice, but you were at Fitness First when I first came and saw you, very first on when you were training people out of there. And so I kept seeing him there and then he fixed up and corrected a lot of lot of issues that I had that I didn't even realise I had um, before I saw him, which allowed me to finally um, break that squad and then um, go from there, which was cool. So how? So the question is, how was Cell as an athlete compared to <laughs> some of the elite athletes that you've been working with? <laughs> no, no, Cell so, so, so wasn't bad. Cell wasn't yeah. bad. Cell wasn't bad. Always brought a smile to training. Yeah. That's a good thing. That's a good start. Um, yeah, no, no, it was, it was good. It was yeah. good. Man, yeah. Um, I'm struggling to remember some of those sessions. Like, uh, when, well, they would have been like 2008 or something, right? Yeah. 2008, 2009? Yep. Yep. Like it was o oh, oh seven to o oh nine. It was like just after Tweed had won the premiership, and then mm. it was like o oh seven to o oh nine type of period. Yeah, yeah. It's around then. So I'm really interested in sort of like hearing your opinion of how sports performance and and strength and conditioning and exercise science has basically evolved since that that time. And and I'm sure that you've learned so much um, over these years. W- what are the things that you are sort of you know teaching or talking about in your sports uh, science seminars and things like that you're, you're talking about at the moment what, what are the the big things that you know we should be talking about and learning about yeah yeah it's an interesting one. it's an interesting one. so and um one thing i'll say is like probably the the industry like sports science actually actually hasn't evolved that much but it's our awareness of it into general general like population and, and that sort of thing, like the interest in sports science and uh, performance coaching and that sort of thing has just like gone through the roof. Like I think when I started my gym, I was possibly the first like private strength conditioning 
facility like in Australia, you know what I mean? I'd gone overseas to the States and, and to Canada and seen uh, um, a guy by the name of Charles Poliquin, how he'd yep. set up like these different sort of training centres around uh, the States and Canada. I was like, man, I want to emulate that. Um, so I got a loan off my dad and maxed out a credit card and then uh, and uh, put a put a gym in like this place you need like you can't even find it with gps right yeah. down at the end of a, <laughs> a collaborate way right but um yeah look I, i'd say it's more a general awareness of, w- of what's happening um and and the fact that uh, there's, there's it's not training for sports isn't like training for um bodybuilding yeah or it's not like and the, the other thing it's not training for weightlifting either mm. like you've got your two um sort of uh grandfather and grandmother uh, of of resistance training or, or strength and power training and it's it's bodybuilding and, and weightlifting and there's powerlifting as well probably a grand aunt or uncle whatever you want to say um, but understanding what you can you take things from those is, and I'm just talking about strength and conditioning part of things like these other sports science things as well but uh, you take from those but you need to take things that are actually going to influence the outcomes of the sport so it's a, being really um really clear and really uh, focused on how do we actually influence performance outcomes in the sport. Like, h- how do you win win things in sport? So maybe in rugby league, it's you score more points than the opposition. We can do that two ways. It might be an attack focus or a defence focus. How are you then going to influence you scoring more points, essentially, than, uh, than the opposition um, with what you're doing in a gym or what you're doing on a field, speed training, all, all that type of thing. Like there's that sort of stepping it back to, to the uh, outcomes. Um, and then in sports science, man, like training load's been massive, finding the right amount of training, uh, amount and intensity or volume and intensity for you. Like that's been a, a – I did my PhD on that. That was a, um, like a massive field that's just exploded in the last, I don't know, five to eight years. My, my – um, it was actually really interesting because – my master's degree was on surfing, right? It was a research degree on surfing. And surfing at the time might have had like three or four studies done on it. So it was like, so you got to do a literature review in your in your thesis. Um, we got to read all the studies and, and come up with like, um, okay, this is what other people have done, rah, rah, rah. Um, surfing was easy. I was like, man, sweet. I didn't actually realise how good it was. And then when I did my uh, PhD on training load, man, there was papers coming out every week. Yeah. And I was just like, Someone shut the gate. <laughs> I need the, I need this to stop because you just can't like keeping up with it was like a, a crazy task. Um, but yeah, tr- training load, finding the finding the uh, it's like anything. The you do too little or too much training, you get injured or you don't perform well. So there's a sweet spot for for everybody. Um, genetics, uh, training history, um, nutrition, strength levels, speed levels, fitness levels will all influence those things. Um, but it's about finding finding that balance, that sweet spot for uh, for you. Um, and yeah, there's some really cool findings. That's probably where my head's at mostly because that's been my sort of area of expertise. But uh, um, yeah, ha- how how all that fits together is, uh, is yeah. really interesting for sure. It's, it's definitely what where we wanted to lean into, and we'll discuss later what we're hoping to build with you in terms of just understanding training in general. Because we found through this period the mass confusion Mm -hmm. from the common person that walks into a gym, be it any gym, can be any type of gym. It can be a CrossFit gym. It can be a strength and conditioning gym. It can be a martial arts gym where they walk in, they see some weights, they see some mats, they see whatever it may be. 
And there is one person that's saying you have to train as hard as you can and flog yourself if you want to achieve this. And there's the other person that's just cruising in the back saying, nah, like when you feel tired or fatigued or whatever it is, stop. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other person is like, well, if you don't push past this point, you won't achieve whatever your optimal performance may be. And it's always been this thing that I've discussed with you and you've uh, talked to about it in general that everyone's different genetics dna previous background and history optimal outcome of what you want to do is going to determine what you actually do whereas most people are sitting here being experts or whoever's trying to position this saying do this to achieve x which can't be right for everyone it's just it's physically not possible that there can be a one size fits all for everyone but i think it's hard for people to find even the basic structure of where they should fit. It's really, really hard these days to find yeah. that. Yeah, it's super tough. And then, like you said, there's um, there's certain styles, training styles and influences that have come from the past um, and have built a lot of, I guess, value, um, whether it's bodybuilding style training um, and that might not necessarily, or powerlifting, and that might not necessarily translate to, to your sport or or what you need to do to perform at your optimum level, like you were saying, um, where I where I think things get confusing is is we are talking more and more these days about personalization and needing to um, have a regime that's specific for you, your sport, your physiology and anatomy, and all these sorts of things. And I think that throws people off because they they start going, well, I don't really know where to start, but the guy at my gym you know, is telling me to do deadlifts, but I don't think that that relates to what my sport is or he's telling me to lift heavy heavy weights, but I don't think I should. And then there just comes this mass confusion. Um, and we're in really interesting sort of like moment in time where people don't really know what to do, whether it's nutrition or training or yeah. anything like that. It's like paralysis by analysis, it, right? Exactly. Yeah. And like you said, there's just new studies and new things coming out constantly um, so the moment that someone tells you this is the, the way to do it, you almost go, hang on, like I almost don't trust you because there's just so many different opinions out there. For sure, for sure. Yeah, and th- mate, that's the uh, that's uh, like part of part of the issue actually with sports science. Like if if you like uh, one of the big criticisms I have of, of sports science sometimes is it literally tells you that nothing's going to work. Yeah, you know what I mean. Because uh, you're taking averages, um, and you've got to blend that that knowledge you might gain in the research with anecdotal experience and and experience of coaches. Like, take for instance, road work for boxers, right? Yeah. Uh, I mean, boxing, maybe the oldest sport in the world besides wrestling. Yeah. Right? Give or yeah. take. Yeah. I mean, they they do road work. I mean, coaches would have figured out a long time ago if road work wasn't helping the boxing, right? That, I mean, that's how I think. I'll yeah. be like, hey, things things that have stood the test of time. There's an effect called the Lindy effect. Um, which basically means the longer something's been around, the more likely it's going to stay around. Yep. Um, and that's a prime example uh, where people say, oh, well, running isn't specific to boxing, blah, yep. blah, blah. But I mean, boxing coaches would have figured that out a long time ago if it wasn't wasn't helping their uh, their athletes, you know what I mean? So, it's, do, you, uh, do you mean sort of like intuitively? Like in terms of like knowing... just the result. Just the result? Yeah. yeah. As opposed to scientific studies yeah 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 like yeah. boxers would have just, like boxing coaches would just, i mean of course almost all coaches are going to do what they did when they're athletes yep 
and then like change in a sporting uh, training landscape is a generational thing. It's like you might introduce so the, say for instance the Chinese athletes that I helped coach performance coach um, uh, their coaches would have coached them like how they were coached. Yep. But now that I've uh, say I've come on or somebody else new come on. Um, when they actually end up becoming coaches, some of them will, some of them won't, but when they become coaches, they'll be using some of the things that hopefully I did with them, um, yeah. you know what I mean? And that, that just, just like a generational shift mm. from there. But there'll be things that get uh, put by the wayside because they're not useful, you know what I mean? It's just like uh, it's just like business. You try one type of advert and it's not working for you. Don't, do you keep doing that advert? No. No, it's same with, uh, same with a lot of sports no. practices. So, so is it is it imperative for coaches to you know continue studying and and trying to ta- uh, stay on top of, of of new evidence that comes out? Is it possible when you're trying to be the best coach and you're you know putting so much time and attention into your athletes? You know, are they are the coaches these days just not spending enough time, sort of upskilling and things like that? Why, why did you, you know, continue like you know? trying to push the boundaries of, of your, your knowledge and, and things in the area and mm. what was that in you? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Stubbornness maybe? I don't know. <laughs> Stupidity? <laughs> curiosity? But, uh, yeah, curiosity yeah. for sure, for sure. Curiosity and I like um, learning new shit basically. I like learning new skills. Like that's that's my um, my high, like how I how I uh, get my fix, you know what I mean? It's learning, learning whether it's uh, like how to juggle four balls, learning a new technique and jiu-jitsu something like that um uh, learning uh, how to how to speak another language all that type of thing i, I like i like that process and i like uh, like that so it just fit, fitted really naturally with me um it sounds like you never got sort of fixated on one particular concept you were able you never attached that to your identity even if you you've coached in a certain style the moment that you know that it's time to evolve you are able to say okay it's now time to evolve i've done that but there's better evidence and and I feel like this is going to work now and you have the ability to do that as opposed to I know you just said you know stubbornness but there are a lot of coaches that are no this is the way we've done it just like Mm -hmm. how you were saying and they've almost attached their identity to a certain style of coaching and and knowledge and they haven't wanted to evolve do you feel as though you are able to do that you're you're detached from you know yeah yeah so um one of the things I kind of like my one of my personality traits too um, that that I kind of pride myself on is being adaptable. Yeah. Like uh, adaptability would be like, say I'm uh, I'm telling somebody about myself. I'd have a hey, I'm I love fun. I'm loyal. Um, courage and adaptability would be like my yep. four four traits. And uh, man, I'm a, I'm a little bit. I did like first year uh, philosophy at Otago University, yep. and there was a, a course called epistemology. I yep. believe I'm saying that correctly. Yep. It's basically how do you know what you know? Mm-hmm. How do you know that um, you're going to turn up to work the next day and the work's actually going to be there? Yep. hasn't just disappeared in a, like a cloud of smoke or something. And so from that, I like I don't know. Always had those like principles in my head that must have had some type of impression on me. I guess now, but like yeah, skeptical, uh, pragmatic. Like what's going to work? Um, so and and just knowing your identity, you're not. You're not the method as a coach. You're a coach. You can do whatever you want in terms of method. You can take take what's useful. Bruce Lee, it. You know what I mean. Absorb what's useful. Discard what's not. Um, same thing goes with sports science. Same thing goes with coaching practices, with physical training, all, all that type of, uh, or any any um, industry or, or subject. That's uh, 
yeah, that, that's that's the approach I take and mm. yeah. what I recommend for sure. There's obviously something that you do or have a skill set of, adaptability is one that allows you to transfer between multiple sports. Mm. Because, for example, generally speaking, an MMA coach is an MMA coach. Then a sprinting coach is a sprinting coach. A swimming coach is a swimming coach. Major League Baseball or baseball, as you were referring to before, will be that coach. You've gone from Olympic sports, multiple different Olympic sports, to MMA, to swimming, to doing some stuff in high school. Is there a concept that you have that allows you to transfer between all these different sports that like almost merges or ties the whole philosophy or coaching principles together? We're, we're talking about the top at the top too. Yeah, we're talking, we're talking about Olympic gold level, medalists, UFC champions. Yep. In every yeah, different sport. Yeah, in all these different categories of sports. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I'd say that the first thing that comes to mind is like pedagogy. So, like, I, I trained as a – well, I did a, a, a PE degree in Otago Uni, right, and this degree was called PE, Physical Education. Um, you couldn't go out and teach with it. It was like a four-year undergrad degree that was basically just a sports science degree. And then – but there was some pedagogy in it, and then I did a, a – it was like a $10,000 grant in New Zealand at the time for male teachers. I was short of male teachers. So I did this uh, one-year grad diploma of teaching, and there was heaps of, like, um, pedagogy concepts and that type of thing. So I'm a big believer you can you can – if you know how to coach, you know how to teach things, doesn't matter what subject it is, you, you can teach that uh, to people. Mm-hmm. So whether it's um, whether it's uh, teaching somebody how to how to do a uh, um, swing a club in baseball, whether it's teaching somebody how to uh, do a takedown in wrestling, whether it's uh, um, teaching somebody how to do a squat in the gym, you know, what I mean, the, the the concepts are the same. And then it's just a matter of putting the content into those concepts. Mm-hmm. Uh, but once you've got that, um, once you've got those uh, that that sort of broad understanding of pedagogy and how people acquire skills, how people develop skills, um, how you give feedback, how you give cueing, uh, it's it's just templated that that you can you can be really adaptable uh, with with how you're coaching people. And then then of course it's um, I mean I've been lucky to work with like a lot of different sports. So I've got a, a, a reasonable understanding of how sports work, how a number of different sports work across an elite level. Um, and then also it's very easy to uh, transfer between centimetre, kg and second sports, sports that are uh, more closed skill. So like your sprinting, your jumping, um, your uh, uh, swimming, you know what I mean? Like those sports are pretty easy to transfer between because it's the same concepts. Um but yeah, the the once you understand pedagogy, and then also understand how to coach, how to relate to people, mm-hmm. um, you, you can be successful in in any uh, any shape or form. Yeah. That is absolutely golden. I've never heard of the term pedagogy before, um, but I've definitely had a concept in my own head where, um, if you're able to sort of break something down into its simplest elements, um, you find a way to sort of understand almost anything whether it's sport or whether it's understanding how to edit videos or um you know design or something like that everything has basic fundamental principles and once you sort of you know break everything down to its simplest form um you realize that that same sort of concept is across everything and, and obviously if, if that's what pedagogy is is it is that yeah right? it's what? a science of teaching science of teaching science so what, of teaching. what you're talking about yeah, there yeah. like there's, there's a method called whole part whole or part whole, where basically when you're trying to teach something to somebody, so it's a, a 
jujitsu yep. uh, move. Um, okay. This is the skill, shoulder in its entirety. This is the part I want you to focus on. This is the skill in its entirety again. Go and do it. Awesome. You know what I mean? Like that's that's whole part, whole right there. That's one of the strategies you can use when you're teaching. Um, and then they might do that. They might uh, like get reps in on that. Then they come back and be like, okay, this is a skill again, whole skill. This is the next part I want you to focus on. You've done that first part. We've ticked that box. This is the next part. This is the whole skill again. Go away and do it. All right. That's so fascinating because I've been so such a advocate for if I'm teaching a, a, a beginner something new, uh, I want them to um, perform the the technique um, so that they get the sort of the body intelligence of it, and I'm not necessarily going to critique their technique in any any way. Um, get them to do some drilling, and then we start to break down. So it sounds like that whole part, whole type theory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So fascinating. Yeah. I'm going to look into this so much more. Yeah. The thing I completely forgot about is you did education. Which now makes a lot more sense because <laughs> clearly I and I guess ninety nine percent of people that know you think of you in exercise science, physio, sports performance. Um, I completely forgot about education, which makes sense why you're able to transfer it across and teach so many people. It, it, even the thing I've always thought about is culturally, how hard would it be going from teaching an Australian population mm-hmm. to a Chinese population? to an American population, Canadian, like when you, New Zealand, when you have to go through all these cultures, do you notice massive differences? Or does the language of sport transfer a lot easier than the language of language? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, or, yeah. Or, or anything along those those lines? No, I mean, like the, uh, the, the biggest um, or the most different uh, like culture I've been involved in is Chinese culture, right? And so there's some some parts of that that are really alien, but um, but people are people. You yep. know what I mean? End of the day, like uh, I'll get asked a lot in China: Are they just like athletes you train? Because these are these are like gold medal winner, gold medal lists, um, like world champions, that type of thing. Are they or were they? Was it just like uh, you tell them what to do and they just run through brick walls for you? I'm like, nah. Not at all. Like you have some athletes that are more engaged, some less. Some athletes that want more say in the program, some want less. Some athletes that um, are quite rebellious, you know what I mean, don't think the coach is doing the right thing. Some athletes that are like in line, do everything the coach says. So it's you always have these personalities and then the, I guess the more you deal with uh, um, Different athletes and and uh, and coach more and more. You, you recognise them and, and you build up experience to to uh, to uh, uh, like engage with them. And I, I guess that's another big thing is like engaging in their culture is, is a massive uh, massive first step. So even if you're making a complete fist of it, me and my efforts to say learn Mandarin, speak Mandarin. Um, Engage in their culture, go out for dinner with the uh, athletes and coaches, break bread with them, um, which actually is is basically how business and, and life works in China, right? You break bread and uh, break bread and, and donate a liver to one another over the over the table from drinking too much, and then the next day you're like best buds, and and stuff just happens after that, um, which is this crazy human t- interaction yep, thing, right? Yep. But um, yeah, yeah. So, so that's uh, at th- least they can see you trying. Yeah, like exactly. They appreciate that. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Even if you are like mispronouncing uh, <laughs> words, or you know what I mean, or like uh, saying like putting putting sentences back to front, you know what I mean. It's uh, it's, it's they see an effort, and yep. um, and uh, yeah. It's, how do you, it's how do you ha- connect? 
what do you do? How do you react to to athletes who might be a bit rebellious to you? Like, if you look at your resume, there is just no doubt that you know what you're talking about, but yet you'll still come across athletes who will be rebellious and just say like, oh, I think I know better than you. Like, do you have a certain method of sort of approaching those type of athletes? Can, do, do you try and win them back over? Do you just let them do what they do? Or what's what sort of your thought process there? Yeah, yeah. So uh, I guess there's... Um there's, uh, I guess, three, or sort of like a continuum, right? It's like um, athletes are fully brought in all the way to athletes are uh, not brought in at all. Um, and if they could, they'd go somewhere else. So if they do go somewhere else, it's like, hey, look, um, wish you all the best. Thanks for uh, um, spending time with me, you know what I mean? Like, love to see you do well and uh, and go from there. For people that um, that aren't too far gone, but they might be like going one way or another, it's like, one thing I'm big on is giving people ownership of of a program. So it's like, okay, what what can we be doing better? Mm-hmm. Okay, like and and me being pragmatic, say if I I don't know, just an example in the gym. Say if I program a squat and they want to do, uh, I don't know, a single leg squat. I'm like, oh yeah, no problem with me. Like if you think that's better for you, let's let's do it. And and athletes like people know their body mm-hmm. better than you. Especially once an athlete gets like into their late twenties, before that, prob- it's it's hard. Like I think of my experience um, as a uh, as a very uh, very poor athlete, but as a, um, like learning stuff and 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 training and that sort of. I didn't really know my body until my thirties. You know what I mean? Like when to rest and yep. when to push hard and, and and how to how to set things up. So if you can have somebody that can like short short uh, circuit then and, and take it yep. to like help you learn your body in your twenties, it's it's massive. So. There's that value there, but um, for most of them, they'll, they'll have a feeling, even if it's like a placebo effect, yeah. psychologically, if an athlete is really uh, like psychologically tied to the bench press, for instance, yep. they think, hey, I'm a, I'm a UFC fighter. When I uh, when I feel strong in the bench press, I throw hard punches, man. Yep. Like, yeah, well, that can go on the program. Yeah. Let's do that. Yep. So, so it's that, that mix of art and science, you know what wow. I mean? I was, I was actually going to lean, lean further into that because – Oh, me and you know quite a few of the same people, and there's certain people we know that we're just like, "Fuck, they're awesome athletes and players, but they're soft as shit." Mm. And you, you would tell like you would be trying to encourage to say, "You can do more." You physically know they can do more. Everything about them physically, it, they have all the attributes, but for whatever it is, the thing upstairs just. There's a block, wh- whatever that block may be. Then the flip to that was we also know other people similar that are almost too tough for their own good. Like they were just so built mentally strong that their body would break down because they just they wouldn't know when to stop. They were just like, I'm just going to go till it falls apart. And you're like, well, it actually is falling apart now. You probably do need some rest. How do you navigate that? Or how do you talk to athletes to make sure they – hit that sweet spot because there is a sweet spot everyone's different but it seems like it's one of the hardest things to almost tune in to hit that peakness mm-hmm. so yeah like the, the simple equation is work plus rest equals success that, that's the equation yeah. right so if you've got a person on one end of the spectrum where there's too much work not enough rest it's like hey this is first of all you explain it to them yeah. that's the like it's comprehension the first first point and we're like okay well Man, I mean, this has served you well. Like, there's there's something too. Actually, just like, even if the the training sessions are like, I don't know, not even I don't want to call it unscientific or uh, scientific, or whether it's just 
um, they're doing too much work. There's something to actually doing that and developing those qualities, um, not just uh, psychologically but also physiologically in terms of like uh, they can, if a person goes through a certain amount of training, the, their capacity to handle high training loads after that will be greater than the person that hasn't. So, but but it's having that conversation is hey, this is uh, this is where we we want to go. The the guiding light of performance is like I said, work plus rest equals success, and it's always better to be slightly undertrained than overtrained. Interesting, if that makes sense. Yep, you know what I mean. Like oh, you're better being a little bit too much rested than you are worked. Mm-hmm. If you want to perform yep. well in competition, I mean yep. that that's like my grandma will tell me that, right? Yeah. So, but that's that's a, a guiding light. Um. And then for people on the other side, it's like, well, yeah, work plus rest equals success. Rest is too high, bro. We need to uh, we need to figure out a, how how to get more output out of you. Mm-hmm. How do we get more work into you? How do we actually raise the the training load to a point where um, you can handle the amount of training needed to be great at your sport? Mm-hmm. Um, because that that's what actually happens is that they might be uh, very good at their sport, but for them to be great at their sport, like. You've got to put in the hours, and some people, um, no matter how skillful, technically skillful they are at the sport, uh, if they aren't able to withstand or handle the actual hours, and it might be um, maybe an average, I don't know, say five hours a day over a six-day week, if you can't do that and handle that physically, um, you're just not going to get to the top in certain sports, Mm -hmm. Um, especially developed sports like Olympic sports. Um, unless it's like modern pentathlon, where like five people do it in yeah. the in the uh, state of uh, or in the country of Australia, like you're just not going to do it. Yeah. So um, yeah, it's it's understanding that that concept and uh, and so like how work and rest relates to one another. It's so fascinating. Um, one of one of our highest performing articles of all time on our combat website was about overtraining and overtraining syndrome, and it just made me realize, wow, maybe a lot of people are are overtraining in in the sport in combat sports specifically because it's fun being on the mat you want to be there and then there's also this like feeling that you're going to miss out on a on a particular class or technique if you don't show up and things like that um and then also obviously there's this cult culture where you want to be hardened so you know you're encouraged to be there and, and train hard but we see it all the time even guys professionals who are who are training for fights like they're just constantly overtraining and it's very hard for them to get them to take a step back um, because they are just so wired in. And then you see others who use rest as, you know, an ability to self-sabotage um, because maybe they're not as mentally hardened where they're just like, oh, I want an out, I want to rest today. Whereas maybe they did have, you know, something left in the tank or they should have turned up yeah. to that class. And I guess it's it's where, you know, these these rings and, and whoop straps and all these things are, are really coming into play because those are the things that are, you know, um, giving you the answers, I guess. I know that city kickboxing, you know, if someone comes in and Eugene looks at their results and it says, you're not well, your wellness score is down or you're not well rested, that's the only time, you know, you you, you don't have to come to a, to a training session. But, you know, if you are just, you know, if you're, if you're perfectly well rested and, and the stats are there, you, you can come to training. What do you think about those things? Yeah, no, man, they're, they're good, they're good. So, um I'll, I'll, I'll touch on, on one of the things you see, like martial arts, right? What, that, that culture of hard work in martial arts, um, like it's a great thing. It's a great thing. But uh, um, it, it's the people that get it right or the people that handle that. And like here's the thing, right? The, 
the more fast twitch fibers you have, the longer it takes for you to recover. So training for a person that is predominantly fast twitch, it, it should be adjusted than a person that's slow twitch. Um, and not even, uh, I'll, I'll speak to uh, a, a guy I've coached with, a guy, Richie Walsh, who fought in the UFC, yep. um, Australian guy, like, and he won't mind me sharing this, but he probably felt like he did too much training mm-hmm. in his, in his t- too much volume, not enough quality, not enough rest in between. Um, I hope I'm not speaking out, speaking out of turn here, Richie, but that was what I remember <laughs> from our conversations, you know right. what I mean? Um, and... Uh, yeah, so it's, it's about finding that individual uh, setup, whether it's a weekly setup, whether it's a amount of volume on the mats, amount of volume, and there's so many considerations that go into it. In terms of the like recovery devices and things that measure your recovery, so the, the number one measure of recovery people should use is a subjective feeling. So how do I, how do I actually feel? Um, and one of the reasons why you should do this is, one, it brings you, like you become more attuned to your... Um, physical state um, and two there's so many different factors that go into your readiness to train readiness to perform readiness to adapt um, that uh, a measure of heart rate variability and sleep uh, from a whoop ring mm-hmm. sorry from a aura ring or from a whoop band um, they'll only be capturing like heart rate variability will only capture the uh, cardiovascular branch of the autonomic nervous system Okay, so that's a that's a for that to be used as a proxy or as a mark of your overall recovery, it won't tell you if you've got DOMS in your muscles. Yep. Okay, it won't tell you if a tendon's nearing breaking point. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, it won't tell you if you're mentally fatigued. Yep. Okay, that they there's like broad relations with that and overall stress, but uh, you've got to know and understand what that actually tells you, um, and then. The other thing, so I think they're great. They, they just add more information. But you should have a subjective marker, like, uh, okay, how do you feel? Uh, scale of one to five, that type of thing. Um, at the UFC, we used a thing called the Acute Recovery Stress Scale from a guy called Michael Kalman. Um, really simple questionnaire. It's, it's like probably the only validated one out there. And then you need to pair that, some, something subjective, because that's what coaching is at the end of the day. That's what coaches do, um, whether it be looking at how the athletes are walking, what their body language is like. Yeah. Looking at, uh, listening to, like, um, as a swim coach I worked with, actually, uh, Matt Brown, um, he had a thing called a talk test, and I, I, I use this since I learned about it, but if they're coming in and the athletes are, like, chirpy and, and talking away, um, man, you haven't been doing enough training. If they come in and they're, like, walking in like zombies, there's no chatter whatsoever, maybe training's too hard at the moment. If they come in, there's a little bit of uh, banter, but not too much, things are reasonably subdued. That's his mark for, hey, we've got the right right consistency of training right now for what I want to get. Um, so there's these subjective measures, both athlete and, and coach, and then you want to have something to pair it with, like objective, just to give it some context. So like your whoop band, like your aura ring. Like I'm a big fan of the aura ring. Um, I've used uh, Amiga Wave, um, which is like a real uh, Russian-type setup where you have yep. like a, a little electrode on your head and an electrode yep. on your thumb. It measures uh, direct current potential, also measures heart rate variability. And that's cool, um, but the thing is, you know it's on you, and it's it's a thing that we actually have to purposely put it on you and purposely allocate like five ten minutes to actually doing the test each morning. Versus the aura ring, you sleep with it, don't know it's on you, or you do know it's on you, but you wouldn't know it's when it's measuring what it's measuring, so forth. And uh, it's it's um, like embedded uh, measurements of your of your readiness state. So yeah, I'm a massive fan of aura. Um, 
and it stacks up the best out of all of those wearables. Um, and then, yeah, you, you just compare uh, subjective and objective measures. Um, and I always default, and I recommend people always default, though, to the subjective um, as a as a um, like rule of thumb. Yep. Okay. Um, don't let a uh, heart rate variability score, um, if you're feeling great, heart rate variability score that's down a bit, put you off from doing something. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because I always default to the subjective and use the objective to kind of uh, give context to what I'm what I'm doing. Um, and then I'm going to add one more thing there. I'm going to add one more thing, man. Sometimes you you want for you to actually adapt to something. I said work plus rest equals success. So for you to actually adapt to something, you need to put yourself into the ground. Sometimes you need to go to a dark place, and you need to be aware that if you're never going to a dark place on some of these readiness wearables, maybe you're not getting any better, or you're not going to be giving the body a stimulus to adapt to what you. Uh, what you want to uh, adapt to, mm-hmm. so that that's a big thing as well. There'll be there'll be times and places where you want to be fresh. There'll be times and places where you want to be in a hole, and it's like how do we adjust things? How do we actually measure them? And how do we actually strategically set it up? Like this is periodization, right? How how do we do all that stuff to make sure that when it comes to competition, uh, you're in the right space, but we've we've gotten you better than what you were before. So much, so much good stuff in there, and it's and it's so important that coaches evolve and have the social skills to be able to identify if an athlete's coming in and they're not seeming their usual self. Um, and if I walked into most combat sports gyms, I don't know whether the, a lot of coaches that I see have those those skills. So it's it's really interesting. Um, it's something that we're working on a lot more. Um, in our gym at the moment, uh, one of our athletes came in. He's in a fight camp. Um, he's three weeks out from a, a, a fight. He went through his sparring rounds, and I could just tell something was off. And he ended up breaking down after the session. And it was just, it was just his a, a nerve, a nerves dump, and it was just, it just his, his had this emotional energy, which just sort of told me, oh man, you really need to rest. You've just been overdoing it to the point where you're your nerves are having this response and you're just emotionally breaking down and you can't even tell me why. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, that, that's happening more more than not, I uh, think. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. I mean, that, that's another classic um, subjective assessment of an athlete's readiness. It's like training uh, irregularity. Like if, if a guy that's normally superior to another guy is starting to get tooled up by the other guy, the inferior guy, I mean, like, what's happening here? You know what I mean? This is a, this is a marker. And warm up as well, obviously, how they go about their warm up, whether it's like really directive um, and there's a lot of intent about it, or whether it's like really slow and and, uh, and uh, they take a while to get moving, all those types of things. Like again, potty posture um, and the warm up are they uh, like chest up, are they caved in, all, all those types of things. As a coach, uh, you, you should be like looking out for and picking up on and just adding to your little. Uh, um, collection of, of data uh, about what to do for that day yeah. I was going to ask a question because um, I'm curious around this in particular for you someone that has a PhD within sports science how much do you lean on science versus how much do you lean towards like if it was a percentage of you need to do shit to do shit Are there, as you referred to before sometimes you need reps um, sometimes you need to get into a hole to understand what it's like actually being an old because you're going to end up in a dark spot. At some stage in an athletic career, if you're going to get to the top, you're going to have to go through a whole heap of shit. Like you're going to have to go through a lot of fire. But there's also the science that says 
you have to if if you were to be perfectly by the book of science there's a lot of stuff you would never do like if you were really really going down it like you said the hard thing about sports science is it tells you what not to do multiple times and sometimes doesn't tell you exactly what to do how much do you think people need to lean on intuition um versus the book versus science versus obviously as science changes upcoming things that we're about to find in the near future be it through journals studies publications everything else mm. so you got to be really careful with science yeah. you got to be really careful um and it takes a while to understand that like and a prime example right when i went to university um hey stretching before exercise makes you slower makes you less powerful that's what that's what we got yeah. told then um i become really inflexible what have you um and then one day I was like, I actually started doing adult gymnastics probably about 2008, which is heaps of fun, and like got into like looking at what uh, um, gymnasts were doing. Like, man, these guys are probably the most powerful creatures, pound for pound, in the world. Easily. What do they do tons of before exercise? Stretching. Stretching. <laughs> I'm like, well, that doesn't make sense. Yeah. Well, how can they be so powerful if they're doing all the stretching and then they're like doing quadruple backflips? Uh, of one leg, you know what I mean? It's yeah. like, um, so I was like, all right, well, maybe that, uh, maybe that science needs to be uh, adjusted. And that's actually what's happened in um, the following years is now um, what the what was being pushed or promoted in, say, the mid-2000s, early 2000s, is now almost completely reversed um, from, uh, like, replication of studies and saying, oh, no, well, actually, it doesn't appear to be that bad. Oh, well if you if it's only if you do like static stretching, you don't warm up at all afterwards, and then try and do something powerful that you'll be impaired. Um, so it's only under very strict uh, conditions that it might be influenced. And then if you look at just like that roadwork example mm. in um, in boxing, like gymnast gymnastics coaches would have figured out ages ago if that was going to uh, impair their performance in powerful activities. Mm-hmm. Um, same thing like uh, the other people that spring to mind are hurdlers, like tremendously flexible, um, extremely fast, and uh, their flexibility does does not seem to like at least practically hamper their speed. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's 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 understanding. Okay, what does what does the science tell us? What what um, can we take from a particular study? Has that study been replicated? Is that the theme across the whole field? Um, and so you can't just go uh, jump into conclusions from yeah. one bit of research that gets uh, thrown out there. Otherwise, you'll be chopping and changing your whole athletic life, whole athletic uh, um, coaching career. You'll just be jumping on one horse from another and, and really hard to ride uh, two horses at the same time, you know what I mean? Like it's And to keep changing. I think it's so fascinating because – and. Um I can I get pretty deep on this and I don't have any like academic substance behind what I'm saying but I've and I'll probably sound really stupid here and I'm okay with that but I've always felt as though as human as a human race it's within us that we're always progressing and evolving um even just as a as a as a group of of humans and so it's impossible for science to get ahead or or always be as accurate as humans are evolving 
if that makes sense. And I'm and I'm trying to bring my thoughts into into words now, and I haven't really said this many times before. But there's things that we naturally do um, as humans which um, allow us to progress and evolve, and sometimes science doesn't support that. And then obviously um, people in the science field have a very narrow-minded view on what the evidence says, and then therefore will um, cast doubt or cast sort of like their objections on on what others are doing. A perfect example is, you know, the plant-based boom, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm not plant-based, believe it or not. Um, But say, for example, our combat protein, we chose for it to be plant-based. And when we did that, man, we got some backlash Mm -hmm. because all the evidence about, you know, the most effective form of of protein is whey-based protein and, Mm -hmm. and as far as the evidence went at that particular time, it's what it said. Mm. Um, we did it because it made us feel better mm. than Wei did. Mm. Um, and obviously now the, you know, the evidence starts to, to um, you know, pile up in, in both camps. It, it shows that you know, plant-based still supports muscle r- repair and recovery sure. and muscle protein sure. synthesis and all uh, these sorts of things. If yeah. you have a complete amino profile and all these sorts of things. So right. it's like... Um, I've, I've never liked a narrow-minded view of something mm. and I love that you're advocating for that subjective or personal um, view to be a marker of things yeah. and not yeah. just to say, no, it's this yeah. or this. That's why I think I've always said when I refer people through to Corny, I know obviously a lot of doctors and a lot of people in sport, but I always say, listen to Corny because he'll give you two points of view and he'll give it to you in a manner. Example, how you started with bodybuilding being the granddad. Mm and power lifting or weightlifting, call it, being the grandmother of what we're borrowing from. Everyone understand, can understand that you're borrowing the best bits of different things, but use supplementation as you're referring to before. If we were going straight down the line of bodybuilding for what we're talking about, be it in this case martial arts, well then, yeah, there is whey protein, but the results are being proven against what performance marker? Bodybuilding. And we're not saying we're trying to bodybuild here. We're trying to say you have to do repeated efforts in a sport that has a lot of different components that are going on. You're not aiming for hypertrophy in in our case. We're we're not trying to blow up a body. In fact, more than likely, you're at a certain weight. Trying to maintain or reduce that weight. Exactly. You want to stay at that weight, but you need to recover as, as much as possible because your sessions are hard. But over a period of time, there's a good chance you're going to have to weight cut. And there's also a good chance there's going to be a lot of gastric upset. There's going to be going on with, one, someone putting their knee on your gut, (laughs) driving it through at Mm. different time points, getting kicked there, doing a whole lot of other things. And your diet, you've got reduced calorie intake over a period of time. What would lean better towards that? So you're trying to borrow guidance from multiple things. Um, which is, it's hard to explain that to someone that they're reading one study that's looking at this person got bigger over this period and you're like, of course they did. That, that makes sense. Like, you, th- that that makes sense for that, but that's not what's trying to be achieved over on this side. For sure, for sure. I mean, um, and look, I can speak to it. Like, uh, science is really, like you, you mentioned before, like um, uh, it probably doesn't keep up with, with what people do um, at a cutting edge. And, like, I can speak to my own experience. I've had papers where I collected data, wrote it up, 
um, and started writing up and nature of me working and doing my PhD at the same time. Like I didn't actually publish that paper until like four years later. I collected data from athletes in the 2016 Olympics. All my all my papers were published in 2019, 2020, 2021, even 2022. Yep. So it's like, that's like a best case scenario. That's three years down the track. Yep. Um, and I've learned a heck of a lot since then. Uh, and so there's that, like that's how that's how science works. Um, you're always dealing with stuff behind you. Um, and then, yeah, it's, it's just that process of, of understanding, okay, what, where does that fit? Like Selassie said, where does that fit in the scheme of, of, of what you're doing and, and where you want to put things? Did you um, have a good experience at the UFC PI? I'm being, I'm being selfish here talking about this. Um, and what did you think about the level of understanding and knowledge in uh sports performance and nutrition and all of those sorts of things in combat sports as an industry compared to others is it is it fresh is it ahead of the curve like where do, where do you think it is yeah yeah so man I, yeah i had a great experience um it was really interesting for me uh stepping into that space um obviously I had an interest in that space prior um but yeah really interesting stepping in and working in that space um the people we worked so UFCPI Shanghai had three main purposes. It had um, service um, UFC rostered athletes, uh, service a UFC uh, academy, which is Chinese fighters that hadn't weren't on the UFC yet. A couple of them on there now um, uh, that have been fighting in like promotions like wars over in China, um, and and bring them in. We actually did a combine to select the best ones and then uh, nice. train them for like. I think some of them were like training like oh man eighteen months to thirty six months before they get a shot at the UFC, um, and then service a uh, uh, Chinese Olympic Committee teams that will come in and do camps and testing and profiling and will get diagnostics on on uh, where they should go and, and what they should be implementing. Um, so, man, the the academy kids it was just like a blank blank slate. You know, and you had some older older crew in there as well, but it's like they just wanted to be there. Or pumped to be there, and you could have told them the uh, grass was blue, sky was green. Yeah, you know what I mean. They were they were just super receptive of of everything we did there. Helped that we had um, some early success, like the coaching team there, the technical coaching team did a heck of a job, and uh, like got them got them across the line. And so that success built on that trust and that engagement. And that was really Richie, yeah, yeah, Rich, yeah, yep, hundred percent, hundred percent, and. Uh, um, then for the actual rostered fighters, China doesn't have that many rostered fighters for starters, and the plan was when it first opened, like fighters would come out from, say, Russia or, or um, Thailand, um, like uh, um, Tiger Muay Thai, that type of thing with the Hickmans. Um, I believe they've opened up a different shop now. Yeah, they um, have. Yeah. Shout out to, to them. Yeah yeah, 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 cool. Looks um, epic. Yeah, 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 yeah. Woody, the uh, strength and conditioning yeah. coach, he's a great coach. Um, so the... Um, UFC rostered fighters again they were really receptive um, really open to, to what we're doing and I think one of the one of the reasons that they were one the guys at Las Vegas and girls at Las Vegas had done a wonderful job with the existing like because UFC rosters predominantly uh, US right mm -hmm. then Brazilian and then rest of the world That that's how it sort of goes by the numbers um, and they'd done a heck of a job like getting trust and buying with them so the model was already seen as successful um, and yeah, just super receptive. Um, and because it was a like a bit of a blank slate, and uh, like you had 
like here's a story. Uh, Duncan French was my boss there at the time. He's like Brian Ortega when he won his world championship. He was training out of his garage. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like it's it's not a uh, yep. really advanced sport um, training wise and uh, and sports science wise. Like it's a real emerging sport. Obviously, there's a massive history in the, in the technical tactical aspects of the sport. Yep. But like the actual structured. Um, you can call it performance training or, or uh, non-technical training is how I like to term it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, very, very, very young. Even if you just look at the physiology that's progressed, like if you look at the guys in the UFC today mm-hmm. versus five years ago, literally just the physiologies have just changed so much. Yeah. Like if you look at them, they're just proper yeah. weapons. Is there, like that's the thing that I often think about with MMA. You know how at one second there was um, the... 100 meter sprint and getting under 10 seconds was like this thing of how can a human do it then one person does it and then it was just like obviously progression keeps going keeps going but like you said because it's been so young in the aspect of performance tactical as you said and learning of skill sets as always goes back to one of the oldest like you said wrestling is one of the oldest sports yep. ever yep. boxing is so forth but from a performance standpoint can you imagine what 10 years looks like from now because look at a pick an athlete in a weight division the only ones that i go resemble how they look now is like a gsp versus an usman mm-hmm. like in, in terms mm-hmm. of a generation because but gsp was doing that stuff he was like the person that really kind of brought that through he was doing all the olympic he was doing the gymnastics mm-hmm. as as you referred to before in terms of how onto it he was, now that I think about it, makes you go, I wonder he was so far yep. so far ahead with what he was doing back then. And but sure. and it was like cool, Brian Ortega, you know, won a world championship because his technical skills were just so yep. superior. But now they're you know, you look at Volkanovsky and his technical skills and his non technical yep. you know, mm. training sure. is just at such a high level that yep. you need to do both now. Yeah. Like yeah, you can't, you can't yeah. do one without yeah. the other. So true. <laughs> um, so true. And and the thing is too, although the these sports, one thing like MMA has got a massive window of growth. Like just and this is from a, a relatively uh, novice understanding of the actual sport itself. Like even though I've worked for the UFC, I'm forward, I haven't coached MMA or things like that. But um, you will have kids going up through the ranks now. They've only trained MMA, so they actually trained yes. the sport of MMA. They haven't trained um, jiu-jitsu and then trained boxing yep. and then trained kickboxing. Yep. You know what I mean? They've they've just trained MMA as yep. an actual sport in of itself. So they've trained like the transitions, punches, and the takedowns. Yep. You know what I mean? Takedown transitions, all that type of thing. Um, and so there's so much so much room for growth for yep. for that. Just in, like the technical aspects of the sport of MMA, rather than trying to collate different martial arts into into MMA mm-hmm. and then you've got that aspect then you've got the uh, the whole like yeah, uh, non-technical side of things like already they're, they're doing weight cuts so much better than what they used to like when so the Performance Institute first started like there was a there was probably their biggest uh, biggest win was influencing how athletes are doing weight cuts um, what is appropriate um, like amount of weight to lose all that type of thing uh, and then that's filtered out with more information so that makes a big difference as well um People can perform better in the actual uh, cage. You know what I mean? It's uh, um, they're not going to be as fatigued. They're not going to be um, 
they're not going to be as messed up, they're not going to be potentially uh, susceptible to getting knocked out because they've been really dehydrated, all those types of things. So, yeah, that, man, there's, there's so much room for improvement yeah. in MMA. What are some things that, um, in terms of MMA and in terms of strength and conditioning for MMA that you're seeing that people should avoid and some things that people should be, like, focusing on? Yeah, yeah. So, man, it's a... Um, it's a balancing act, right? Because you mentioned things like weight cutting and, and things like that. Um, you've got to, well, f- first and foremost, um, this is what I used to say to the, the fighters, three things. Um, if you get injured, you can't fight. So that's one thing you've got to focus on. If you don't make weight, you might be able to fight, but you're gonna, not going to get your full purse, okay? Um, and then you've got to worry about performing well. So first and foremost, let's focus on not getting injured, and making weight, all right? Then in the performance side of things, most of the technical coaches I speak to would always rather a fitter uh, fighter than a real strong fighter because yep. fatigue makes cowards of, of us all. Yep. You know, and so that, that's, a, that's just a general theme. People might be different, like I said at the start. People might be uh, um, might need more or less of, of one thing or another, but as a general theme, I'll be like, okay, if we need to prioritise your like uh, whether it's anaerobic fitness, aerobic fitness, let's get an indication of uh, where do you sit right now, okay? Where does it sit compared to what the UFC average is, what the, the top of the UFC is? Um, and then we go, okay, where, where, where are our windows of opportunity? Where are we going to um, bring things up? And, and th- that's, ha- that's how you work, essentially. You, you compare and contrast to what is needed at the top. And then, okay, where are we now? If we've already ticked that box, that's cool, just maintain it we need more of it let's let's go out there and yep. get it mm-hmm. nice man awesome really really cool man unbeknown to you this is a new podcast that i've probably noticed all the really cool backdrop and everything <laughs> yeah, that's sick, going on sick. i know you made comment on it before and previously we used to ask a question that you would we would ask you to leave guests with and imparting ways or words of wisdom we now actually have another way that we do it where i find a fan of you or the person that's sitting here. <laughs> Turn <laughs> this, it up. This, yeah, this person actually, it, I thought they were going to give you a hard time, but they haven't. So in this case... Oh, is it Brock Hunter? It, in this case, I was going to ask him, and then I was like, <laughs> he would definitely give you a hard time, and this has to be somewhat serious. So they actually asked a really, really good question because when they said I was like, that is such a good question because it could relate to someone actually making them become a world champion in their chosen sport or whatever it is. And they basically asked, what attribute would it be physically, mentally, emotionally, whatever it may be, have you noticed or would you say is the most important thing to build to be win a gold medal, to become a world champion, to be the very best in their sport? It may not be world champion or anything, but to be the best they can be within their physical chosen sport that they do. Mm, mm. So man, this is going to sound really like ah, oh, it's that's just like stupid, Joseph. Yeah. But it's like you got to be a PhD in the actual sport itself. You know, what I mean, you got to be excellent in the actual sport yeah. side of itself. I've like I know gold medal winners that uh, uh, if you looked at them outside of their actual sporting domain, look like um, newborn foals. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it's 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 painful to watch sometimes. Yeah. But, yeah, you've got to be a PhD in the sport you actually do. After that, um, definitely things like growth mindset, challenge mindset. Growth mindset as in your traits are not fixed helps a lot. 
okay? Your, your traits are adaptable. You, we can change things. We can improve things. And then challenge mindset, um, we, uh, when we approach with challenges, we view those as opportunities, not as threats. Th- those, those things before anything else would probably be what I'd say is uh, if, if you want to go out and uh, um, win a gold medal, you've got to be an expert at the sport you're in. That, that's first and foremost. Um, and then how you mentally approach that is, is really important. And like I think of uh, – so one kind of bring up an example. This, this, this kid, uh, his name's Eddie. Um, actually, name is Wong Janan. Dude just won uh, World Championships long jump. Uh, in Oregon just recently, like uh, a month ago. Um, this guy's a baller. Like, um, I believe uh, 2016 um, Olympics. Um, the guy had been world junior champion. Guys, actually, there's only been two people to like pole vault over five metres and long jump over eight metres under 18, under the age of 18. He's one of them. So he's like a, a, a freak of nature, right? Um, and... Uh, yeah, world junior champion, finished, like, got a bronze medal at the world champs in 2015, then went through a, a real rough patch in 2016 when I was helping coach him. But, uh, man, he just had, like, challenge mindset the whole time. Like, it was the bigger the stage, the bigger the opportunity, the bigger the challenge, the bigger opportunity. Um, and the way he approached that, like, uh, I don't think he jumped over eight metres um, all year, which is, like, a, a basic, um, like, mark of whether you're, Mm-hmm. Half decent for a male on a world stage, um, and then comes comes Olympics. Um, qualifying for the final might have been eight twenty uh, the next day, and his first jump was uh, eight twenty nine. It's like boom, checks it back on. I'm done. I'm ready to go. Dude hadn't jumped at all. It's just like big stage. Let's get after it. And then same thing. So well, not same thing, but similar thing. Latest world championships. I think he might have gone like eight oh one. Um, only just scraped into because you have three jumps and you have a, if you uh, finish top of the field in those three jumps and you get another three jumps you just scraped into the top six um, I think the uh, mark was 8.29 and um, it was his last jump he'd maybe only gone like 8.09 7.99 something like that. last jump I think he got uh, it might have been 8.29 again or maybe 8.32 I believe um, and I'm sure I'm going to get this wrong but yeah won it on his last jump Come from nowhere, and that but that was that was a trait that I saw in uh, in Eddie, like just challenge mindset. Man, the bigger the uh, bigger the challenge, the bigger the stage, the bigger opportunity that I can uh, I can do something great. Amazing, I love it, man. Just so just cool. just quickly, I know we want to wrap this up, but just uh, very briefly, how do you become you know uh, how do you under, become a PhD in your own sport? Is it just not only becoming physically, you know? Um, gifted in terms of like the technical aspect but it's also the tactical it's understanding the context of why you're doing what you're doing and it's essentially like your you know quote-unquote fight iq or sport iq essentially yeah yeah yeah. so um it it varies by sport right like so um where where physical prowess is more important or less important and like we we know jujitsu right where uh your actual physical prowess the person that's skilled in jujitsu understands jujitsu versus the person that doesn't Physical prowess isn't a uh, massive thing, mm-hmm. if, if you're if you're um, at least of similar weights. You know what yep. I mean. Even, even uh, very different weights, it might not be a big thing. So there's, there's sports. There's, uh, some sports very important. Some sports less important. But it's yeah, it's first and foremost um, doing the hours in the actual sport you want to be good at. 
Um, some sports you don't need as many. Like here's another. Hopefully, the listeners have heard of Donovan Bailey, who was a sprinter, hundred meter sprinter, um, gold medalist at the Olympics. Man, that guy in his second year of sprinting went to a world championships uh, as a um, relay runner for Canada. So, like some people, there's some sports where you don't need as much sporting skill, and your genetics and makeup um, can take you to the top. But there's other sports like fighting. Yep. Where man, you might be the uh, biggest, strongest dude around, but some guy fifteen kgs lighter than you um, can take you down, sit on top of you, and uh, elbow the heck out of your face, yeah. and you can't do much about it. Yeah. Like so, yeah, and, and fighting for sure, man. It's like spending the time, yeah. and and then there's, there's ways of short tracking that time. So some people might take ten years, other people five years, and it's understanding what what are those like we talked about pedagogy before. That's a, a key. Tenant and shortening that time it takes to get to a high level. So good, love it. Thanks, man. Good to have no you worries, back brother. on. Yeah, thank Make you. Make sure you don't leave the country again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll do my best. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure. For awesome. Sure. Won't won't take many years between the next ones this time. Nah, nah, not at all. Nah, nah. and I'll, I will frame this. We're going to be getting coiny on for a lot more segments, which are going to be all around performance. So don't think this is the last you'll hear from him. You'll be hearing from him a whole lot more soon. Hundred percent. Cool. Thanks, Thanks, brother. Boys, thank you.